You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Come on, why don't you lift your right hand to the air? Say this words. say, Heavenly Father, I'm standing in your house. My heart is open, my soul thirsty for a word from God. I thank you that today what I'm about to hear will elevate me above all my peers. What I'm about to hear today will bring transformation. What I'm about to hear today will bring breakthrough because what I'm about to hear is a word from God. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, give two or three people a big high five. Tell them they are really, really ridiculously good looking. Happy birthday. Pastor Summer and Mark Peterson celebrated 15 years this last week. I know because I was there. I got to be a part of it. I got to put the decorations on the cake. And hang on, no, no, that wasn't me. I got to officiate the wedding. I'm so proud of you guys. Three beautiful babies later. We're just so glad that you're over here, part of our team, part of our family, part of our crew. We love you. Amen. Can we thank the musicians and singers? How good was that? How good was that offering? Dear goodness gracious. I thought I've got to, I've got to give, it, give inspired by that. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing journey, this Christian journey. That, you, you, that uh, Jesus said to the disciples, go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the king's dominion. Gospel of the kingdom is a little bit different to the gospel. The gospel is awesome. The good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom must be preached. Then the end can come. And the gospel of the kingdom is that, that there is an invisible kingdom, though, though it is invisible, don't be mistaken, it is powerfully present. Though it is invisible, don't be mistaken, it is powerfully present. Jesus even said this, he said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, therefore the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, Jesus is saying, see how this person came in tormented. This person came in vexed. This this person came in bound by a dark spiritual force. And did you see how with power and authority, we were able to drive out that which was tormenting this. And that person has stepped into freedom. What I'm trying to explain to you is that the invisible kingdom that you are not even aware of, We've just changed our name to Awaken. One of, the, one of the visions and goals and objectives and missions for our church is that you would awaken to the reality there is an invisible kingdom, though invisible, don't be mistaken, it is powerfully present. And in this kingdom, when you take from your wage and when you take from your salary and when you take from your earnings, when you bring forth from the fruit of the ground and from your labor, when you honor the God of of that kingdom, when you bring the first tenth and say he blesses because this kingdom rules over every other kingdom. This kingdom rules over the earth. In this kingdom, there is healing. 
in this world there's sickness in this world there's disease in this world there's oppression in this world there is violence in this world there's in this kingdom there's healing in this kingdom there's deliverance in this kingdom there's peace when you are born again you are literally born again into the kingdom not into the church per se the church is part of the kingdom the church is not the kingdom the church is a, a part, a piece of the kingdom. That's why I, I don't compete with any of the other pastors. When people say, hey, you know, pastor, we're going to such and such church. I'm like, praise God, you get wherever you're getting fed. Oh, we thought you'd be, why would I be worried? They're my, they're my fellow soldiers. We're all in this thing together. We're all building the same kingdom. We're elevating the same Jesus. Come on, somebody. So, I don't know how I got into all that, but I just, yeah. What a great offering word because you need to understand if you've been edumacated by the world, it makes it a little bit diff difficult to understand the dynamics of the kingdom because the world has one of lack and it is governed by fear. The kingdom of heaven is one of an abundance and it is governed by faith. I'll say that again just because I, I'd never heard that before until it came out of my mouth. The kingdom of this world is one of lack and it is governed by fear. The kingdom of heaven is one of abundance and it is governed by faith. And so I've just made a decision. If God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, then you know what, fear? You don't get a voice at the table. If God, if, if God says, hey, listen, I've given you a spirit of fear, listen, then I should listen. But if God goes out of his way in his word to say, I have not given you a spirit of fear, then I need to just hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Fear. You don't even get it. Go, go and sit outside. Go on. Outside. You're not even invited into this party. Because fear and lack go together and faith and abundance go together. How many people are believing 2020 is going to be a year of faith and abundance? Anybody? <clears throat> Well, I know that, I know that you're the smartest people in the world because you've come to church and the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you realize just you sitting there, faith cometh? Faith is, faith is already traveling towards you whenever this book is read, whenever the word of God is preached and ministered, whenever you hear the word of God, just sitting in the hearing of the word of God, faith cometh, faith cometh. And just, you know, it's like, a battery charge. It's, it's, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I feel powerful. I feel like I can change the world. We want to create some world changes because the world needs some changing. Amen. Man, I'm not even talking out there. I'm just talking about my world right now. Needs some changing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are starting a brand new series in the month of February. In the month of February, Mr. Molchanov, do you know what's coming up in just 12 days? <laughs> Rally night, that says a great youth leader. He knows, he's just toying, it's Valentine's Day. He reminded me beforehand, he says, don't forget, Pastor, in 12 days, it's Valentine's Day. Don't say anything, I'm surprising my wife. It's gonna be her greatest Valentine's Day ever. He says, you, you ask her. He says, you ask her the following Sunday in church, hey, was it? Was it your greatest? He said, absolutely, without a doubt. He said, this year, I'm go she's mother to four of my kids. This year, I'm just going over the top. How many people thank God that Daniel is going to go over the top for Heather? 
Man, I'm so proud of you, Dave. Thanks for reminding me. I completely forgot in 12 days. <laughs> so it's, it's, a month, it's a month that we just every year we decide, hey, let's talk about love and let's talk about relationships because... Man, if, if you're in relationship conflict, it, it's pretty much everything, everything else is a mess. A few years ago, um, uh, Pastor Michael was telling me that, uh, you know, he went to the doctor and the doctor said to him, you know, what's wrong? He says, well, when I touch my head, ow, pain. He says, when I touch my shoulder, ow, pain. He says, when I touch my knee, ow, pain. The doctor's like, man, that's interesting. Head, shoulder, knee. He says, you got a broken finger. Sometimes we think it's this and we think it's that and we want this circumstance to change and that. But really, if everything, what's the common denominator here? And sometimes, I don't think we underestimate, excuse me, I think we underestimate the power of healthy relationships. And sadly, nobody's talking about it. Uh, So today, the title of my message is Love Lies. Love Lies. Love Lies. Uh, I know it's a series called Known that we're doing on relationships, but, but I, I really felt that I wanted to kind of begin on talking about love lies. And the reason that I came up with this title is because uh, just as I was doing some research, I found, oh dear goodness, everything I was looking up on the, on the internet, on Google, was jacked up. Like... And then, then all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit, thank, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, He's so awesome. He's so awesome. Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper. And we're like, no, no, you already did that in Genesis. In Genesis, you said it's not good for men to be alone to make a helper. And He's like, yeah, even with all the brilliance of your wife, Jurgs, you still need a lot of help. So I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost as well. I'm like, yeah, and that's why they're always ganging up on me. Every time I think I'm right, the Holy Ghost goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm siding with. I'm like, come on. You're meant to be on my team. You're a boy. God's a boy's name. But no, no, Holy Spirit and Leanne always ganging up on, you know. And uh, so the Holy Spirit's your helper. And so he just said to me, Jurgs, the reason that you can't really get uh, truth from Google about love is because the Bible says that God is love. And because they have either a distorted or a broken or a perverted view of God, they're going to have a distorted, broken or perverted view of love. And so I really felt like what I wanted to do today on the very, very first Sunday is, is kind of do a little bit of a Forrest Gump. He might not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And, uh, and I like that, that Forrest Gump knew what love is. And you see it all the way through the movie. Jane is from one broken, poor little girl was abused as a little kid. She sits there and she's throwing rocks at the house because childhood was robbed. And then Forrest sits down with her and he looks around and he doesn't know how to interpret the, the emotion. He doesn't know the pain. And then he's... His narrative is, sometimes there just ain't enough rocks. So profound. Sometimes there just ain't enough rocks to to heal and deal with all the pain. 
But no matter what she went through, he was the one constant. He was the one constant. Even when she was dying, he was there. He really did know what love was. Let's have a look at it. What does it say? Love is patient. Let's have a look. First Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Let's go down to verse 4. It says, love is patient or love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails. I just, I, I was overwhelmed when I was on the internet going through Google, having a look at some of the different myths about love and statements of love that Washington Post and New York, uh, New York Life and all these, these uh, agencies were putting out. And I thought, man, that's broken. That's going to end in disaster. Man, if people follow that advice. And, and do you, honestly, it took me like three pages before I found a Christian post with just a glimmer of truth. And then as a shepherd, I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, you know, if my young people, because young people go to Google first for their source, they go to Google first for their information. I'm like, we better be teaching young people what love looks like. And let me just say this, because God is love, because God is love, when you have God, you have his love flowing through your life. God is a great God. God is a good God. God is a God who so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. God is a God that, that took on a problem that wasn't his problem. It was, it was my sin, not his sin. And yet he came down and picked up a cross on his back and he bore my sin. He took my shame so that in before, while I was still a sinner, before I'd even asked him, before I even cried out to him, he had already hung on the cross. He had already remedied my malady. He had already healed my diseases. He already delivered my soul. He had already broken every chain before I even asked or invited him because he's just that good. When you have more of God, I'm not saying religion. Be careful of religion. Religion doesn't get quite to God, but it says, hey, this is the way. And if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, P, and then we'll throw in some numbers and then some symbols and some hashtag. And then, then, well, you still won't get to God, but you know, and you're just on a treadmill. It's just get off this treadmill and then get on. That's not, no, no. When you actually walk with God, you can walk with God. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. What was finished? The wall of division, the wall of separation, the, the, the judgment of God towards you, keeping you at bay is, it is finished. You can now enter in to a magnificent relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth, with the creator of the cosmos, and his love can flow through your life. Listen, I married the most beautiful woman on planet earth 28 years ago this year, and I'd love to tell you, because she's so beautiful, it's just absolutely just a matter of fact that we're still married today. You need to understand, I married beautiful, she married Jack wagon. And, and I am telling you. Now, how many people know the Bible says that all have sinned? How many people know that doesn't just mean the people that are outside the church? One, one of the most beautiful revelations with all of our boys uh, when they hit their teenage years was, was almost like a, an awareness. And the awareness came without wisdom. 
And I've got to get into this message, so I just need to just lay this foundation. The, the awareness came without the wisdom. And the awareness was, man, I, I just feel like oh, I'm not good enough for God. Oh, I'm not good enough for God. And so we had to, we've had to kind of say to each one in a different way that, that that's called, we're all sinners. So you'll always think thoughts you shouldn't think. You'll always want to taste things you shouldn't taste. You'll always want to do things that you shouldn't do. You'll always want to try things you should. You'll always put yourself, it's, it, it, all of sin. And for, but Jesus came to save sinners. He says, do you know Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous. Do you know why? Because he would have been by himself. And the little cricket, and even that snuck in. You little scallywag, you're not as righteous as you. <laughs> Jesus came to call sinners. And the most beautiful thing is it's, the gospel is for sinners. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. The overwhelming grace of the gospel. So walking through, understand that you quite often can be the greatest saboteur of God's great blessings, of God great, God's great giftings, of God's potential in your life. You know, there's a saying, I have seen the enemy and he is me. I honestly believe that repentance is, I have seen the enemy and he is me. You know when it says in the, the story of the prodigal son, when he's looking at the pig slop and he was hungry and nobody gave him anything, and then it says, then he came to himself. I reckon in that moment, he probably penned the words, I've seen the enemy and he is me. I realize that all of my choices and all of my rebellion and all of my, to my dad has brought me to this place. And that my, I lived in a home where I had everything. I had opportunity. I had blessing. I had, and I threw it all away. I have seen the enemy and he is me. One of the greatest things about being in church is the Homer Simpson don't moments. You know, I always want to be a church where in the preaching, there's a little bit like, I want to punch the pastor in the parking lot. And, uh, but no, I know he loves me, but man, that hurt. And, and there should be a little bit of hurt in church. Come on, how many people know this afternoon, the Chiefs and the 49ers are going to be a little bit of hurt on the field. In fact, there's been some hurt in training. They're doing extra runs and extra drills and extra pull-ups and extra, you know, if there's no hurt, there's no gain, no pain, no gain. And it's got to be the same in the house of God. So let me give you five quick love lies, if I can, in just a few minutes that we have left. The first one, the first lie that I saw uh, is this one. True love is agape or unconditional love. That somehow, somehow you and I, true love is agape, unconditional. And, and it, was, it was on a particular website. and was kind of, you know, saying that, you know, that somehow you and I are capable of unconditional love. Unconditional love. And it says that if you, if you have this love, if you, you know, operate this love, if you dispense this love, then, then you'll find bliss. You'll find happiness and you'll find. And I just thought, man, you're setting people up for failure and you're setting up people for tragedy. The only person who is, who is capable of agape, the only person who is capable of this kind of unconditional love is God. Only God can love unconditionally. In, in, and when, as I began to read this, this uh, post, and it's an advertisement, as I began to read it, I understood that they're probably a backslidden Christian because they understood that in the New Testament Greek, there are four words for love. 
Did you know that? So when we say, oh my gosh, you know, I love you. We're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I love cheeseburgers. <laughs> oh, crud. Oh, which one am I? Yeah, just a little bit below cheeseburgers. <laughs> oh, man. And so, you know, so we love cars. We love cheeseburgers. We love our football team. You know, we love nachos. And then we love you. <laughs> and it's like, so the English language, you know, we're kind of limited. We got one word. But in your New Testament Bible, there are four words for love. One of those words is, is the word storge. Storge is, is, a, is a, a family love. It's, it's how you love a sibling. It's like if, if someone's picking on your little brother or your little sister, you know, you're there. You, you love your family. Storge. Another one is philia, where we get the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And philia or philio is, is, is brotherly love. It's an affectionate love. It doesn't have to necessarily be a, a biological brother. There's just a friend. How many people love your friends? How many people have good friends that, man, I love my friend. And when they're hurting, you're hurting. It's a good thing. Another one is eros, which is a, a, a sexual love between a husband and a wife. And, and then finally, the fourth one is an agape love. An agape is an unconditional love. It's a love that God dispenses. It's a love that God only dispenses. So there's this myth that, that somehow you and I are meant to operate in unconditional love. The love is not meant to have conditions. But can I say to you that one of the most dangerous things that you can do is have love without conditions? For example, when I did Pastor Mark and Summer's wedding 15 years ago, they stood at an altar. And at that altar, they exchanged vows. And some of those vows was, do you take your spouse forsaking all others? Do you promise to give yourself to them and them wholeheartedly? And then there's a whole lot of conditions in for richer and poorer, in sickness and in health, for better and for worse, because we understand that this life has all kinds of storms and this life has all kinds of calamities that come our way. And we need to understand that we need to make a commitment that we're going to do our very, very best. But, but if, if I fail, then listen, I have to I had, uh, I had a lady who had been so browbeaten by her husband that she was, she was continually putting up with his abuse, his neglect, his nastiness, his belittling. She was, she was a shadow and a shell of what she should have been or could have been. But she felt like, well, I meant to love him unconditionally. She's working jobs to pay the bills. He's sitting at home lazy. He's nasty to her. He's belittling to her, unkind to her. And she felt like, well, aren't I meant to love unconditionally? We're like, uh-uh-uh. No, you're not. He stood on an altar making vows. In this life, my, my wife has carte blanche. Absolutely. If I'm behaving like a jack wagon, then absolutely hold my feet to the fire. Now, the Bible says that God hates divorce. God hates divorce. God hates it. But he gave Israel a certificate of divorce. That even God was so broken by the continual misbehavior, infidelity, unfaithfulness of Israel that he was so exasperated that he wrote them a certificate of divorce. I think in the, the 28 years that Pastor Leanne and I have been in ministry, I think there's only been one or two cases where we've actually walk with the person and that was the only counsel available. We tried every other option. One thing that we do do on a regular basis, if he don't love you and he don't appreciate you, move out. 
Let him cook his own. Let him. Because love needs to have conditions. Love needs to have conditions. I love my kids. But there's, there's conditions to my love. Now, I know we live in California. So, you know, little Johnny's up there with a, with a, you know, a BB gun shooting people. And we're just like, he's just expressing himself. He's just expressing. You know, we were at, we were at the beach uh, last year. And in fact, it was a year ago, February, we we're in Hawaii for a conference. And we're sitting on the beach and the little tyke on, you know, you have those, those chairs so we've got these chairs, our family, and then there's another family here. Well, the little tyke, he's got, he's got the, the mama's trying to feed him, and he's throwing like the little, what are those little fish things? Goldfish. He's throwing goldfish. He goes, oh, you don't like goldfish? Oh, you know, he, he's just expressing he doesn't like them. So she's got this cut up fruit. And so she opens the cut up fruit in this like little sealed bag. So he starts throwing the fruit and he's, ah! and he's just like, and I'm like, dear Jesus, if you don't spank his little bottom, I will take his little bottom and, and spank. <laughs> Love needs some conditions. Love needs some conditions. Somebody say, amen. So the Bible says that, uh, you know, love is patient. Love is kind. I, I, I remember uh, no, another time a few years ago when we first started the church, I, I met a guy at Starbucks. And he said, Pastor, I really want to meet you at Starbucks. We want to meet you at Starbucks. You know, I need a coffee. You're going through this thing. I said, absolutely, I'll be there. So he starts telling me about his, you know, his relationship. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I want to pray. I'm going to pray for his you know, relationship. And then finally he says, oh, no, I don't need you to pray for my relationship, Pastor. He goes, uh, what I want to do is I, I want you to now meet with my wife and tell her what the Bible says, Pastor. <laughs> tell, her, tell her about what the Bible says about, you know, wives submit to your husband. And, uh, and I thought, man, everything you told me like, sounds like she's the one with all the problems. And you're the, you're the perfect one in this relationship. For the life of me, I can't figure out why she's not submitting unless she's like Lucifer's sister. Come to find out he's been cheating on her, coming home drunk. He had hit her. And that was the line. he she, she was so humiliated, she was so broken that, that when she left her mother and father thinking that he was making promises at an altar, that he would love her, that she was stepping into an adventure. She thought she was stepping into this, this fairy tale. He made all of these promises when they were courting, but now he was a completely different person. And so she didn't want nothing to do with him anymore. And she was very, very broken. But he came to me and said, hey, pastor, Literally what he's saying, if I peel back the layers, is because I have no more authority, I want you to use your authority to use the authority of the Word of God to force her to come back. And so I had to say to him on that day, in no uncertain terms, thou art a jack wagon. Although I didn't use the word wagon. I used another naughty word. But anyway, come on, how many people forgive their pastor? Sometimes... Sometimes there just isn't enough rocks, okay? Sometimes there just isn't enough right words that fit the description. And, uh, and I said, mate, I said, you know, your, your job is to win her. And he's like, no, I don't have time to win her. I said, listen, mate, how you get something is how you keep it. 
when you were courting her, you never had bad breath. You were pulling the chair. You were paying for the meal. You were suave. You were kind. You were like, no, go on. That's interesting. <laughs> they had a sale at Nordstrom Rack. And you tried on 13 pairs of shoes and you couldn't tell the difference between the brown or the suede. That's fascinating. <laughs> no, keep going. I'm interested. It's like... How you get it is how you keep it. One of the biggest things that I learned in, in, in if, if I want love to be thriving, there's some conditions on it. Come on, how many people know you can light a fire? But if you don't feed that fire, if you don't throw wood on that fire or keep the gas turned on, that thing is going to go out. It's the same in love has conditions. It requires the right conditions. Fire requires conditions. When you extinguish fire, they know fire needs oxygen. You take away oxygen, fire goes out. The oxygen is romance, is kindness, is date nights. Love has conditions. Somebody say amen. Number two, dear Jesus, I mean, wait too much time on that. Number two, love has no judgment. And oh gosh, this is a big one. All right, love has no judgment. I was sitting, I was sitting in, a, in, in a doctor's surgery a number of years ago and uh, just, you know, the waiting room and talking to the guy next to me. And it, it, it's always a little bit awkward when people ask, and so what do you do? And I said, ah, I'm a pastor. And you just, you always see that awkward moment. And so he told me that he was something. He was like a guru or something. Uh, I said, oh, that's wonderful. And, uh, and then he began to tell me, yeah, the problem I have with Christianity is you guys are way too judgmental. I said, oh, okay. We're too judgmental. Yeah, yeah, you know, heaven and hell, right and wrong. You know, all this kind of stuff. And he said, dumb, he says, I believe in love. Love doesn't judge anybody. Love hath no judgment. I'm like, really? Love has no judgment. I said, that's interesting because my Bible says that love doesn't uh, rejoice in iniquity, doesn't think evil, but rejoices in the truth. So love is able to, to discern. Love is able to distinguish between that's evil and that's good. That's called judgment. Love is able to distinguish between, no, no, that's, and this is love. Sorry, this is, this is truth. This is false. This is a lie. This is sin, and this is righteousness. This is iniquity. Love is able to discern. And then it reminded me of a story where I had a situation where it came to light in our church in New Zealand where a, a little 12-year-old uh, boy the 54-year-old next-door neighbor had been violating that boy. And when we went around there uh, with, with um, a, a child protective services agent, the man says, oh, no, 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 there's nothing wrong. It's love. And so when I shared that with this guru guy, he's like, well, obviously that's wrong. I said, ah, oh, little judgy today, aren't we? Have a look at this. It's a, it's a pretty heavy piece of scripture, but I, I want you to see it because it's just important. It's in the book of Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse 4. It says, uh, this is two angels are sent by God into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. The reason these two angels have been sent is because Abraham's nephew Lot is, is living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God's about to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah because of its wickedness. And so God, Abraham says to God, God, will you really overthrow a city? What if there's 50? And God says, all right, for 50. And he's like, hang on, shoot. 
This is all right. What about four? And he goes all the way down to 10. He goes, if there's 10. And God says, all right, for 10, I won't. So two angels come in looking for just 10 people in the entire city that aren't evil, that aren't corrupted, that aren't perverse. And in the end, they couldn't find it. They found Lot, his wife, and two daughters. And, and they're trying to, so the two angels come, and this is what it says. It says, now, before they lay down, the men of the city, so the angels are now in, in uh, Lot's house, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, which to me is a problem that he would call them. Anyway, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. How many people know Lot's pretty jacked up? Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they've come under the shadow of my roof. In Eastern culture, when somebody comes under your roof, you are responsible while they're under your, your roof, they're under your authority, you are responsible for their safety. And you're in the Middle Eastern culture, if they come to you, they, they are to leave. If they come to you poor, you leave, they leave you with more than they came in with. They leave refreshed, they leave fed, they leave with supplies for their journey. That's a Middle Eastern culture. He says, these guys have come under my roof. Don't do this, this is where, they've come under the shadow of my roof. My job is to protect these men. And they said to him, stand back, verse nine, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a, come on somebody, he keeps acting as a, of all the words, he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. And then the angel had to kind of reach out and pull Lot in and then strike them all with blindness. And they groped around. Isn't it interesting that the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah, the one thing they could not handle. So every, everything was permissible. If you went to Sodom and Gomorrah, everything was 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 permissible they legalized everything marijuana was legalized everything was legalized except one thing one thing they could not stomach this man came here as a sojourner now he sits as judge have you noticed that spirit in the world we we want we want a, a jesus we want all his benefits but we want the non-judgmental jesus we want jesus meek and mild jesus that does not judge can I just tell you that love judges? Not popular, but love judges between right and wrong, between good and evil, between wise and foolish. I love my, my children. I love my family. But if they're going to make a foolish choice, love doesn't say, well, you know, knock yourself out. I'm sure you can somehow drive after drinking a whole bottle of Jim Beam and get behind the wheel of a car without a license. Hey, I don't want to be judging. What kind of stupid stupidity is that? That's not love. That's called abdication. That's called neglect. Love judges between right and wrong. Love judges between good and evil. But there is a spirit in this world that will try and lie to you that say, oh, no, no, if you love, you don't judge. I, I, would, I would actually beg to differ. Because I love, I have judgment. Because I love, I have judgment. Can somebody say amen? 
All right, number three, they get better, I promise. When you find love, you'll be perfectly happy. When you find love, you'll be perfectly happy. Oh, dear Jesus. How many people know that opposites attract and then opposites attack? Now, even if you're together because of compatible qualities, I'm not sure if you've ever seen any of those dating programs and, and contestant number one, Contestant number one behind the first booth, he likes romantic strolls on the beach, poetry. He likes just going out and having a good time. He's for world peace. Contestant number two behind booth B likes poetry, having a really good time, romantic strolls along the beach, and he's also for world peace. <laughs> Contestant, it's like, dear, shut up. So... So maybe, 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 oh my gosh, we like the same movies. Oh my gosh, we like the same. Oh. We, we both love McDonald's French fries. And, like, and so maybe when you're first courting, what brings us together is the compatibility. But as soon as you get married, guess what happens? And I've got to tell you, you can actually fix the blame to God. As soon as you get married, the Holy Spirit will begin to work on making you opposites. Why would he do that? It creates tension. Exactly. <laughs> I don't understand. Well, do you know, every bridge, if, you, if we were to go to 49ers territory up to San Francisco, the Bay Bridge there is held up by high tensile steel wires. There's tension rods in the concrete. Tension, the definition of tension is two forces pulling in opposite directions. If you're erecting a tent, you pull this rope taut, and then you pull on the other side, the direct opposite, you pull that rope taut, so when the wind blows, that thing doesn't tumble down. The strength of the tent is determined by how much tension there is in the rope. The strength of the bridge, able to stay, sustain high winds, even earthquakes. A 7.8 earthquake on the Richter scale is able to be sustained because of the tension in the rods, the tension in the steel. God is trying to strengthen your marriage. So one will be a morning person, the other one's a night person. One person's sporadic and, and come on, let's just do it. It just doesn't even matter. And the other person's like, no, methodical. We don't even have the money. We're on a budget plan here. We're trying to get, you know, and, 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 and it's, oh, I'm, I'm I'm touching some nerves right now. Okay. And, and you think, my God, why don't they? But listen, it's to your advantage that they don't think like you. Because if, 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 if everybody was, you know, just calm and conservative and like that, then you'd never take risks. And if everybody was just like, I just wish you would, and if everybody just, you know, was spontaneous and took risks, you'd have no savings and you'd be a victim and you'd, that home would be, and the car would be repossessed. And so you need, you need the full gamut. You need this person saying, no, I don't think we should spend a cent. And this person saying, let's put it all on black. You need somewhere in between. You need somebody in between saying, actually, let's not gamble away. But let's invest in this stock. Let's invest in, come on, let's take some of this money. I know we can't save our way forward. Why don't we invest? You, and so you will find that God will create this beautiful book and this beautiful tension. So love, yes, it will. In fact, let me just say this. Love doesn't make you happy because happy depends on what happiness is. Love fulfills. Love will make you so fulfilled. 
the fulfillment of a job well done. I'm not sure if you've ever, you know, put something up or, you know, built something. And, you know, if I build anything, it falls down. But, but the other day, I, I got given a drill for Christmas by a guy in church, believe it or not. Why are you laughing, Lisa? You're imagining me with a drill, aren't you? He, oh, sh- oh, shoot. Uh, just, you know, put some pressure on that, on his little head. I didn't, no, that didn't happen. And, uh, but you know, anyway, but, but, that's a bad, anyway. And so I, um, Leanne had this painting, this painting that we bought in Israel, and it was quite heavy. And so I'm like, oh, dear goodness. You know, and I had to find the stud, and I said what every, every husband says to his wife when she's like, have you got a stud finder? I'm like, I'm here, baby. <laughs> she didn't get it. She's like, what? And so anyway, and so, you know, I had to drill in there and I had to, but, but it hung and it was, and it was, it was, I got it level. And so she's like, babe, you did a good job. I'm like, and but the, now, now I walk past it. It's, It's in the pool room. I walk past it. Hey babe, does that still look level? Yeah, I did a pretty good job, didn't I? And <laughs> fulfillment comes after God wants your marriage to be full of fulfillment. How many people here have ever eaten a really, really good meal? And it's like, man, wow, I can't eat another. They could offer you the greatest steak from Fleming's. And you're like, you know what? No, thanks. I'm fulfilled. That's what God has for you. The world pursues happiness. Happiness depends on what happiness. God wants to give you fulfillment. Fulfillment comes through working through the tension and the opposites in marriage and, and, and getting to a great answer. Anyway, number four, monogamy is a social construct. Number four, with one minute left, monogamy is a social construct. The Bible says in Genesis 2, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep. Everyone say deep sleep. To fall on Adam and he slept and God took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called womb man because she was taken out of man. I want you to notice that the, the animals, male and female, were created from the dust. When God made, it, when God made the, the male hippo from the dust, female hippo from the dust. Male giraffe from the dust, female giraffe from the dust. Male lion, female lion from the dust. He made the male man from the dust. God says, oh man, it's not good that he be alone. But watch how God breaks pattern. Instead of making his helper from the dust, God does something crazy. He puts the man into a sleep. And then he takes from the man a rib. And then from the rib, he fashions a woman and he brings her to the man. God, when Adam woke up and the wife is coming, oh, and he sees a scar because God wanted him to know, hey, she's going to be the fulfillment and the blessing, but it's going to cost you. I need you to understand it's going to cost you something. And notice where I took her from. I took her from your rib cage. 
Your rib cage protects your heart. Because you're not going to have and enjoy the best of what I'm bringing you unless you learn how to be vulnerable. And notice that I brought her from your rib, which is under your arm. She's not yours to push down, but she's yours to bring under your arm again, under your nurture, under your care, under your love. God was showing Adam that, hey, the animals, I made them male and female from the dust. They may mate and move on, but it's not the pattern for you. It's not the pattern for you. I got to tell you, God has in his plan and the Holy Spirit will be your helper that you can stay married to the person. Come hell or high water, one person for the rest of your life. It's God's great plan. They will try and tell you that monogamy is a social construct. It's not a social construct. It's a divine heavenly construct. I, I can't do number five because we're over time, but I need to pray. Number five was really good. Love is a feeling, but it's not. How many people know that love is an action? Come on, John 15, 13 says, no, no greater man, no greater love has any man than this. And he laid down his life for his friend. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave. Love begins in its infancy as a feeling. Love begins as an emotion. Oh my gosh, I fell in love, I fell in love. It may begin there, but it doesn't end there. Love, love as it matures becomes an action. There are some times that you need to do the right action even when you don't feel it. Let me finish it with this story. In, uh, I got saved 1986. In 19, I think it was like 1987, uh, Billy Graham came to Australia, the, the great, great evangelist Billy Graham. At that time, there was a, a number of the, the high-profile and high-level pastors in Australian churches had divorced their wives. And, and so there was debate within the movements whether they should still be credentialed, whether they should still be able to preach and minister on a Sunday. And so this now spilled over. It was in the, in the papers and the tabloids. And, and now they had Billy Graham on Good Morning Australia. And on Good Morning Australia, one of these, you know, uh, Beautiful commentators says to Billy Graham, well, you know, what does the Bible say about divorce? And he says, well, you know, the Bible says that God hates divorce. And, you know, I've been married this long. And then one of, the, one of the pastors who was in the audience, you know, stood up and he points his finger. He says, well, Billy Graham, what would you, what would you do? What would you do if tomorrow morning you woke up and you no longer had any love left in your heart for your wife? What would you do then, Billy Graham? And then the, the commentator's like, yeah, yeah. What would you do then? What would you do then? And Billy Graham said, man, what would I do if tomorrow morning I woke up and I had no more love for my wife left in my heart? He said, I'll tell you what I'd do. He said, I'd get down on my knees. He said, and I'd pray. He said, and I wouldn't get off my knees till that love came back. Good morning, Australia. Then panned the camera from Billy Graham into the crowd. And there on the front row was Mrs. Graham. And she's just sitting there and she's got tears coursing down her cheek. Because here's a man who said, sweetie, I'm so committed to you. It doesn't matter how I feel. If the love's not there, I want you to know my love has matured from the feelings love, from the emotions love, into the verb love that God has. For God so loved, he gave. It was Jesus's love. His love was greater than the cost. His love was greater than the price. His love was greater than the pain that he went through on the cross because he was so committed to you. Can I tell you, that kind of love 
is what's available in God. That's why Christian marriages do better than the world's marriages. That's why Christian relationships are greater because we have the love of God flowing through us. I know I'm, I'm out of time, but would you close your eyes and bow your head? I want to say a prayer for you today. If you've never opened yourself up to this God of love, maybe you've believed the love lies. Today you're here because Jesus wants to break those love lies. Maybe you've come from brokenness. Maybe you've come from divorce. Maybe you've come from abuse. Maybe you've come from, friend, can I just tell you? Two things for you today, two things. Number one, God wants to heal your past. He holds no record of wrongs. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. He wants to wash away all your sin, wash away all your wrongdoing. And then at the same time, God then wants to know that he wants you to experience love. He wants you to experience fulfillment. The Bible says that in humility and the fear of the Lord, he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited by evil. So Father, I pray right now, if there be anybody here today that's never surrendered to God's love, never opened their heart to God's love, or that today needs to say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? I'm full of anger, maybe bitterness or brokenness or whatever. Friend, Jesus is the source of all healing. He's the source of all hope. He's the source of not just reconciliation, but also restitution. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.